December is no time to be old and alone, and Arthur Calderbank feels the weight of both most keenly in the dying of the year. The chapel that sits at the centre of the graveyard has been subdivided by stud walls to provide Arthur with a bedroom and a living area. There was already a small kitchen and a washroom, which have been complemented with the addition of a microwave and a shower cubicle. Arthur did all the work himself, always been good with his hands. It is spartan and bare, and as far as it is possible to be in terms of comfort and cosiness from the house he shared with Molly for all those happy years. But it is, for better or worse, home, after a fashion. Some of the old pews Arthur has arranged as storage or seating around the edges of his living space. He's made a serviceable table from the timber of three of them, with more pews along either side. The rest he's broken up and keeps in a wood store he's built at the back of the chapel. He has electricity, but no gas, and warms the place with a wood-burning stove on which he sometimes also cooks. This morning he has a pot of porridge on the go. Through the tall windows he can see that the cemetery is carpeted in snow, luminous in the moonlight. Definitely a porridge morning. He sits by the stove, rubbing feeling into his hands. They've been muttering that he's getting too old for this, that he should be somewhere warmer, safer. And it's true. He does feel the cold more now. It takes him longer to get moving in the mornings, especially mornings like this. But while he's no spring chicken, he'll be 72 next birthday, neither is he ready for the knacker's yard just yet. Giving the porridge a stir, Arthur stretches his legs and pads across the wooden floorboards, unsure if the creaking is the old timbers or his old joints. His calendar hangs from a nail by the bookshelf, made, of course, from another old pew. December the 5th already. He takes up the felt-tip pen from the bookshelf and puts a firm cross through the number four. He never strikes out a day until he's woken up on the next one. Bit of a superstition, he supposes. Tempting fate. Strike out a day too early, and maybe you're saying your time is up. Maybe you're saying, take me now. Arthur shakes his head. Silly old sod. He never used to be superstitious. Never had the time. Perhaps he's been living here on his own too long. At the tall windows, the stained glass originals had long since been broken or stolen and replaced with cheap plain panes that rattle in the wind, Arthur looks out on the snow-covered graveyard which spreads out all around the chapel. The headstones are frosted like ornaments on a cake. He glances over his shoulder at the calendar, at the thick felt-tip ring around the number 23. Old, he thinks, turning back to the window. There's no denying that. But never alone. Filthy morning, Fred, says Arthur. He looks to the sky and tuts. Don't think this snow's going to let up all day. Might be in for the week, according to Michael Fish. And again, he told us we weren't going to have that hurricane about ten years back, and you remember how that turned out. With his gloved hand, Arthur absently clears the crisp snow from the top of the nearest headstone, then laughs. <laughs> what am I talking about, Fred? You'd been in your grave for five years when that hurricane happened. Arthur moves along the ranks of graves, wiping snow from the stones, though there's not much point. 
Thick flakes dance from the grey sky, filling his footprints and piling up on the headstones again. He writes a metal pot filled with the desiccated husks of chrysanthemums at Mabel Shepherd's grave and frowns at Don Gaskell's marble headstone, which is leaning at an angle. Arthur pushes the stone lightly and it moves another inch. That'll need resetting. He should probably call the council, but it'll be quicker to just do it himself. He'll have to wait until the ground's not so frozen, though. Near the back wall of the cemetery, which borders the site of the old pit where he used to work what feels like a lifetime ago, Arthur sets to at a mass of dead brambles with his big secateurs, piling the thorny twigs up against the black stone. Not many folk come down to this bit of the cemetery these days, but that doesn't mean he has to let standards slip. Some of the headstones are so old that the names and dates on them have faded into indecipherable hieroglyphics. A little further down, towards the corner of the wall, there are a jumble of proper old mausoleums and walled graves, which no one ever visits at all. When he's cleared as much of the brambles back as he thinks makes the place look respectable, Arthur ties the cut pieces with twine and wraps them in a length of hessian sack. He'll dry those out and burn them on his stove. He pauses at the grave of Noah Jones, first resident of the cemetery, buried the day it opened on August the 17th, 1803. Son of one of the town's biggest cotton merchants, died of tuberculosis when he was nine. What must it have been like for his parents to lose a kiddie, Arthur wonders. What must it have been like to have children in the first place? <laughs>